Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. We have two wonderful guests as Reasonable Voices today, Joe Eisen and Connie Kepfinger. Joe, by the way, Eisen, the renowned singer, guitarist, and songwriter, brings a wealth of musical history from his earliest days, opening for Richie Havens and Joe Cocker, to playing with the great bluesman himself, Willie Dixon. He has recorded for ABI and Barclay International Records, as well as having his own original songs published by Warner Brothers. Eisen brings the best of the blues, soul, and well-known songs to his performances from the greats he has met and worked with along the way. Joe is the composer, lyricist, and co-author of the play Eve of Beltane, Schoolhouse, and Kingdom Come, with our second guest today, Connie Kepfinger. Eve of Beltane was selected for the Broadway-bound festival along with several successful readings in New York City. Our second reasonable voice today is Connie Kepfinger. Playwright Connie Kepfinger's work has been seen and heard all over the world. Despite our current restraints, her play, My Dinner with Mary, was produced in November 2020 by the Theatre for the New City, TNC, a Pulitzer Prize-winning community cultural center that is known for its high artistic standards. Streaming live from the legendary Players Club in Manhattan, how well I remember it, this delightful new play, starring celebrity stage veterans Mary Ellen Ashley and Mary Tierney, was enjoyed by over 1,400 viewers. In addition, her Simon Says was a finalist in Playbill's inaugural virtual theater festival in October 2020. Connie Kepfinger has written well over 40 plays, short stories, books, and commissions, such as Taking It Back, a 10-minute play for the Me Too Project in Harlem, and Playing House, a commissioned one-act play about Bella Abzug. We've got to talk about what we have in common, you and I, with Bella Abzug, for the untold stories of Jewish women, and Playing Fate, which was accepted for the New Blood series at Theatre for the New City. So welcome, Connie, and welcome, Joe, to The Reasonable Voices. How are you, Joe? 
I'm well, Marcello, and thank you for having us on to talk about uh, some of our work today. Fantastic. And you, Connie, all's well? I am wonderful. Thank you. I think you are, too. All right. <laughs> this is going to be grand. Okay, so, Connie, let's start with you. Theater that can entertain, educate, and exalt the creative force of the human spirit. Now, that is a high standard. Is that what the new play exchange is about? That's what the work that Joe and I are doing is about. We call it the theater of the awakened dream. Ah. And we actually believe that that line actually comes from the ancient Greeks. They did theater because they believed that it was to entertain, mm -hmm. to educate, and exalt the human spirit. And the human spirit is the spirit of the play, mm. the spirit of the game, the spirit of who we are. There's nothing mystical about this. There's nothing woo-woo about this. You know, we're in the new age now, and we actually can understand these things because spirit simply means the enlivening of a human being what mm. gives us life and when we come together in a game in even you know through technology when we come together we feel the spirit mm. we know the spirit the spirit of love the spirit of adventure the spirit of joy it's there mm -hmm. of course you know we all live by the show must go on well we're in a situation now where the show must go on versus global pandemic and one might argue the first act went to COVID, but, but the play is the thing, as they say. So beyond Zoom, what new skill sets must artists learn for theater to survive and thrive? What are your thoughts? Well, I think we have to be inventive. I think we have to take every opportunity to be able to create new ventures, um, new platforms. I recently saw the um, sea shanties on um, TikTok mm. and the way they put their music together and the, the technology of it is layered. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually have an inside uh, glance at technology. Oh, I, I started working at Carnegie Mellon University way back when, so I've always been around technology. And my daughter is in design and technology. She worked for Google, now she works for Facebook. But, it, you know, it's, it's, I get an inside glance. In fact, that is how we ended up starting our, our big show, our really big show. We have three different plays together, Joe and I, mm -hmm. but our big show is all about the effect of technology. And it started out just about computer dating and the whole idea of interacting with computers and interacting with technology and now I think we have something that's so appropriate for right now and we're going to break some boundaries with this one it's called Kingdom Come this is um, it's creating new plays for a new world because I know everyone thinks well some of us is, let's say naive enough to think that after January 20th everything is going to be normal but beyond that, there's also the thought that after the global pandemic is over, that everything is going to come back and do what it did the way it did it before. What do you think about that, Connie? I don't think so. I yeah. think we're, first of all, I think we're going to be a lot more appreciative. I Every day I wake up, I feel great that mm. I'm waking up. Yes. And I, you know, and the whole idea of covering our mouth with a mask, I think, is a very vital sign of the times mm. that we talk too much, we say too much, we say 
things to each other that we don't mean. And I think the whole art of human interaction and communication is going to change radically. It already has. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I think we actually are going to appreciate each other more. But I don't think theater is going to go back to what it was. There's already a lot of things in the making, uh, hybrids of theater and film and theater and online sources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like the turn of last century with the Industrial Revolution and the invention of the phonograph and the invention of television. I think we're going to have some new inventions. We already have them, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, and I couldn't agree more. And I always tell people, I think the most valuable thing a person can desire is to learn new things and do new oh, I things. Love that. You know what I mean? Yes. Because that's Absolutely. how the brain, the brain, the mind, and life and relationships, communication of all kind. That's how it. That's how it grows. It's how we grow. So absolutely. Uh, tell me more about the theater of awakened dream. I love that. Tell us more. Well, I've always I'm heavily influenced by the futurists, uh, the Italian futurists, the, the Pirandello, mm. um, and the absurdists. And when I realized when Shakespeare said all the world's a stage, mm -hmm. I took it literally. And I thought to myself, okay, so if the world's a stage, how do we grasp the idea that there's a play involved? Mm -hmm. Are we in a play? Are we writing the play? <laughs> What's the deal? And I really pondered that a lot. I'm also an academic, and I taught theater after I got out of school and got my master's. I started teaching theater as well, and I always experimented. And I developed a new pedagogy called Formative Stages that mm -hmm. understands the stages of creative form. Yes. But the theater of the awakened dream, I think the one thing that all human beings have in common is the fact that they dream. Unless mm -hmm. people just don't sleep, it's all, you know, it's a fact <laughs> that we dream. Yes. And then we also have dreams, aspirations, adventures. You know, we dream of things. So that word dream stuck with me mm -hmm. about. 30 years ago or so and I've just been on that continuously and I you know I think that understanding the dream in the dream you're the actor mm -hmm. you're the producer you're the playwright you're doing everything you're running the lights for Pete's sake and it, you know it's like <laughs> where'd that person come from do you know that guy it's like what or you dream of your eighth grade boyfriend you know it's like whoa what is this you know so it's so overwhelming sometimes and sometimes i want to go back in the theater of my dream and mm. i was like whoa let me let, let me finish this you know no you have to get up and go to work yeah. i'm sorry i want to see what happens and that's called engaging theater and when i realized how engaging the actual dream was i started to see how i could incorporate the idea of a dream inside my play mm. And, you know, it, it's just started happening. I, I, I sometimes I just, it's like wish fulfillment. You know, you can call it inspiration. I call it inspiration in spirit. And I think that once you understand the spirit of something, then you can actually just go with it and you're not afraid to open doors. And when you go with it, then you find this feeling of freedom that allows you to create. So the theater of the waking dream 
started happening in my work. Mm -hmm. And I was working with several composers. I was doing children's theater, and I was doing um, all kinds of different work. I had a huge piece called Candle Dancing. I had a wonderful composer from London, Robert Eugle, who came over to Pittsburgh and did the collaboration with me. He wrote a Requiem Mass Mm -hmm. and the score for the play. Mm -hmm. And it was fabulous, but I knew something was missing. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, there's somebody out there that needs to work with, I need to work with, and somebody that understands my understanding of lifting the veils of illusion in life and being able to understand what's happening in the play. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew the area of music of it would, would, would be the defining factor. Uh-huh. Well, Joe... Uh... I wonder if Connie is leading us into a discussion of Kingdom Come. I don't know. I'm still waiting to see who, what musician she found. Yes. <laughs> you know, she left us hanging, didn't she? I thought I'd be polite, but since... <laughs> but, you know, she did that, didn't she? Talk about a cliffhanger. She just went up, and that's why I paused for a moment. But, okay. Well, uh, are you going to confess, Connie, or uh, do Joy and I have you know, to take it from here? I was at a cast party, and I was working with three different composers. One was named Moore, one was named Super, and one was named Strong, Jason Strong. And he said to me, well, Connie, if we all get together, we can be the Moore Super Strong composing team for you. And I said, nah. And I I was (laughs) humble, but I was looking for somebody. And when Joe and I met over 10 years ago, I just, we started talking, I heard his music, and bang. That was it, you know? Okay. So, Joe, our suspicions were correct. (laughs) It's you! (laughs) So, Joe, uh, you you know, you and Connie have just finished this new musical, right? Kingdom Come? Tell us about it. Yes. Yes, we have. uh, You know, we actually met... Thanks to technology, ah. uh, several years ago we were uh, we were communicating on a uh, on a site, and we were talking about theater and we were talk- talking about uh, Broadway and what we would like to see happen in in Broadway and on Broadway, and the idea of technology kept resurfacing, and we mm. said, you know, well, it's because of this that we are able to communicate and have this wonderful dialogue. Uh, and so perhaps we should we should think about our projections of where this is going to go. Mm. You know, where does where does technology lead us? Okay. And we looked around and we were seeing the uh, expansion of computer dating all around, and and how people were uh, holding on so close to their cell phones, and everything was starting to become uh, so much more contained in in the world of technology, and. So we, we started thinking about uh, writing a piece that uh, spoke to the choices that we make vis-a-vis technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kingdom Come arose out of that concept. And basically, it's a very feel-good and upbeat type of play. Uh-huh. And it's a story about what happens when we allow greed and power-hungry people to usurp control and attempt to use the advances in technology Mm. to benefit their own agenda. Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds like something that is very apropos to today's world. Oh, yes. And And in fact, it is. And we really had no idea when we started this that 
the similarities would be so striking in ways that uh, that we're witnessing today. Uh, but along with that, it's also a love story, mm-hmm. and it's about the first hybrid being uh, living in the not too distant future, mm-hmm. who falls in love with a woman and a human, and together they attempt to right the ills of what has become a very sterile and loveless world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's basically the concept of the play, and it's uh, it's a it is a musical. And when when Connie talks about the theater of the awakened dream, our our vision was to try and get people to. Uh, simultaneously think and feel mm. so that uh, so that you're not excluding the mind from the heart or the heart from the mind mm-hmm. and you want people to have a total experience when they when they're sit, sitting there observing this dream or this story hmm how do you uh, what's your process I mean how do you develop your new works you well, go it's, ahead interestingly enough Marcello uh, we owe everything to the uh, to this age of technology because Connie was living in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and I was in New Jersey. Yes, and we said, well, let's explore the possibilities of working on Skype mm-hmm. and see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. And so we would we would meet for several hours during the day and we would be on Skype sharing screens and talk about what we saw as the uh, the the uh, movement of the story and how we wanted it to unfold, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of music we envisioned in it. And uh, and if it hadn't been for technology, I don't think we would have had this wonderful opportunity to have gotten to know each other and to, uh, to produce the work that we've done. You know, I hear that because there's so much that I'm doing now online that I never, I mean, I didn't even want to, I didn't even think about it, you know. Uh, Few of us like you had thought about this years ahead of time, but I. But now I am, and it's like it's like. How did I ever do it any other way? Anyway, <laughs> but I guess that sort of did that was sort of a natural progression to airplay. Did that sort of naturally follow? Yes, it actually did. Connie, uh, you want to tell them about how we came to airplay? We're on a show much like this back in two thousand. 2005 um, we had an interview and we were talking to a woman and she was interviewing us about our musical schoolhouse which is about school violence and it's based on a um, wonderful story about a an imaginary schoolhouse and uh, she was fascinating but even more so the producer of that show reached out to me behind the scenes and said, I really like your ideas. I really want to commend you for your work. How can I help you? Mm. And I said, well, matter of fact, I could use a theater space, a virtual theater space to develop work. I had lots of actor friends and lots of people that could help me. And then I also wanted to help other people. I was schlepping into New York City every day, and I was doing things in New York City, but every time you, you know, want to rehearse something, it's a lot of money, and when you're in the beginning, in the throes of things, it's really good to sit down and have a table read, and there are some foundations, like the Dramatist Guild Fund, that, that you know, I'm allowed to use their space, um, you know, it's it's a wonderful, uh, op- there's lots of wonderful opportunities, but to be able to grab actors and read a script virtually mm. online is phenomenal. Yeah. And we started out using that as a, a workspace, a virtual theater space, and then 
Rachel said, do you mind if I broadcast this? Let's re- let's do the shows and then I'll broadcast them. Okay. And we've been doing it in 2014. We've been doing shows and putting them out there. And then I brought in lots and lots of other playwrights. And it was fascinating because people, you know, graduates of certain colleges would meet in New York and California. And we would bring these people together online. And they were like, excited you know and it and it wasn't that hard for them to put forth a little bit of time to just pick up a script get the script and organize it's basically yes. organization but we've been doing it for you know over 10 years now wow that is exceptional all right so, i tell you what we're going to do we're going to take a short break and this is i mean this is so grand i really am enjoying it and just listening to you guys it's just fascinating and technology seems to be the word for this this interview today on The Reasonable Voices with our two Reasonable Voices. We are talking to Joe Eisen and Connie Kepfinger. We're going to be right back. Stay with us. We've got lots more to talk about. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joe Eisen, half of the new Broadway-bound musical theater duo of Eisen and Kepfinger, with new plays for a new world. We'd like to share a sample of our work with you by playing just a bit of a title track from Eve of Beltane, a love story that looks beyond reason to find the rhymes of the heart. Have a listen. Now there's a lantern in the churchyard from a hundred years ago dropped by a desperate lover's tribe find the way When her father's henchmen found them He laid waste to all their dreams And now it's said that lantern glows each first of Eisen from the writing team of Eisen and Kepfinger, and that was the title song from our new musical play, The Eve of Beltane. Feel free to explore and hear more at our website, www.eveofbeltane.com. We look forward to meeting you. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and my guests today, Joe Eisen and Connie Kepfinger. We've been talking about their... Theater of the Awakened Mind. We've been talking about the new musical, Kingdom Come. They've been working on Zoom and Skype longer than, well, longer than the pandemic has been around and just very much embracing the technology and what theater is going to be after we think we can safely go to theaters. So I wonder, we started with, um, we were, I think we were still talking about Kingdom Come, but we didn't say, did we say Singularity, uh, Joe? Did you mention that? It's... Actually, Marcello, that was the original name of the show. Uh-huh. And we had um, we'd been doing some research on the point in time 
when uh, humanity merges with artificial intelligence. Uh, yes. And they refer to that period as the singularity. Gotcha. And so we uh, we looked at that for a while as a, as a working title. And the more we involved ourselves with the characters and the unfolding of the plot, we realized that the ultimate destination of where humanity is headed is in that merging of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. with, uh, with the human being. And that seemed to us to be the coming of the kingdom on Earth. Uh. And, and so uh, we started using this title. Uh, it's, it's also interesting that the, because of the technology, we found ourselves looking into the future and, and thinking about what happens because of the choices we make. Mm-hmm. And technology can be either a source used for uh, wonderful new advancements in medicine and, uh, and uh, all sorts of different areas, or it can be a danger depending on the hands that it's placed in. Yes. And so part of Kingdom Come is about what happens when a society abuses technology for their own greed and uh, avarice and and how how a greater thinking and feeling individual who is represented by the artificial intelligent being in our show understands that without love you have nothing mm-hmm. that you have a very cold and sterile society yeah. and uh, interestingly enough it is the hybrid who uh, ends up saving the day yes interesting excellent connie let's bring you back into this this is fascinating. I, I, I know in the intro I mentioned that you and Joe had co-authored a play, Eve of Veltain. Tell us about that, and how long did it take to write? Well, Eve of Veltain was started as a joke, really. I wanted to write a play. I've always wanted to write a play about a minstrel and, uh, you know, a traveling musician mm-hmm. and... Eisen has so many wonderful songs. It's just phenomenal to me. And I would always ask him about his past. And as Joe mentioned, we worked for several hours together and we would have coffee and eat burnt toast together and we would just do all these different things while we're working. And it's just like working in a, in a theater. Yes. And so we, I started, I said, send me some more music, send me some more music. And then I also used Joe's music in other performances that I had in Manhattan. I would have uh, theme music or pre-show music, and I'd say, well, send me something for this. Send me some. And so I started to get really familiar with this work, and I was blown away, totally mm-hmm. blown away. And so I said, I'm going to write a play called Eisen the Wonderful. Mm. And he, he laughed, and uh, I started putting it together and using all his music, all his other songs. And it was about a traveling musician, and it started back in the ancient times in Ireland where I took the song Eve of Beltane, which Mm -hmm. was one of his original songs I absolutely loved, Mm -hmm. and I started to sculpt the beginning of the play with it. And then I added a bunch of other songs and did some biographical stuff on it, and he said, I said, so what do you think, Joe? Eyes in the Wonderful. And he said, "Mm, I don't think much of it, Connie Joe. I think it's... uh, pretty much garbage except for the opening i said what what do you mean he goes well we got something there look at this look at this opening and that's how eva beltane started and then he made me to go to work to do research with 
Irish literature and Irish, and I, I am a scholar, so it's it wasn't far for me to do that. Joe's also a scholar and a teacher, but you know we would ponder the ideas in politics and spirituality and understanding the mythology mm. of ancient Celts mm. and how that works and how that came into play and what we wanted to do and this is where the theory of the awakened dream comes in to blend the idea of that world and this world mm. and that's what that one's about and there's actually we have a wonderful website set up because right before the pandemic hit we actually did a 29-hour equity reading with a wonderful cast we have producers that wanted to move it forward and it was in the Broadway Bound Festival but then the pandemic hit. That was in the fall of 2019. and the beginning of 2020, we had a meeting and uh, producers that came from all over and things were really moving. And then all of a sudden, yes. we were put on pause. But but that's pause to me. I You know, there's always, uh, I think of those old cassette tape players, pause, and then you let go, <laughs> and it's unpause. You know, you know what I mean? You get the visual going, yes, right? Yes. I don't give up. I I it's not in my vocabulary. Well, it doesn't sound like the two of you have given up in any case. Some things that I thought were really great, we can still move forward on a show I'm working on and the things we're doing, and then I find, you know, they're popping up all of online and other people are having great ideas too. So you borrow as well and go, oh, well, let's see how this would work. It's just uh -huh. phenomenal. But I love what seems to me to be at the core of, of your work. I mean, it it is, of course... Uh, the art, the artistic quality, the quality of the music, the script, and all of that. But it is also, I always say theater, it's, its number one job is to entertain. But the close second to that is when the people walk out of the theater, they start thinking. Uh -huh. And then they, then those thoughts make them feel things, and those feelings make them do and make choices that are different. And it sounds to me that that's what you guys are all about. And I, I want to mention how touched I was when doing research for the show and on the two of you. And one of the things that really hit me was the one act that you were commissioned to do about Bella Abzur. I, of course, knew she was in Congress and knew things that she had fought for and equal rights amendment and all of that and women's rights. And My first job was uh, 1776. And when the big guy came in to see it and said, oh, you're, can you direct as well as you can act? And yes, I can. And you know how modest we can be, we, we people in the theater. And, I, and he said, okay, we're losing our Abigail. And I said, oh, well, in rehearsal the other day, someone came in and they I asked her to sing. She was just, everyone seemed to know who she was, and I described her, and he went, oh, she can't act. She can sing. She has a lovely voice, but she can't act. And I said to Mr. Big Producer, well, if she can sing like that, she can act. She just needs a director who can bring that out. And he said to me, all right, Marcello, if you can get her to act, you can ask for anything you want. Well, it took some doing until it suddenly hit me. She sings so beautifully. I need to speak to her in musical terms. This moment is a crescendo. This is a pianissimo. This is this. This is a fortissimo, that word. And she just, boom. Well, I was off to Europe. She had her audition. She booked the show. I come back. Okay, the producer says, I remember what I said. What do you want? I want to direct 1776 in 1976 in Philadelphia. And so began my career. As my grandmama would say, you can't beat God giving. In any case, she was getting divorced, came uh -huh. in, she was crying, and and the real problem, she lost all of her credit cards. 
because oh. she was a woman. Oh, yeah. Now you know where it's coming from. And when yeah. I saw that you had written a play about uh, uh, Bella, I thought, yes. And then I remembered I had to get on the phone and argue with Banks uh, that she had. And this was the 70s. This was our lifetime, as you well know. Uh, that Absolutely. she They had to give her credit. Uh, mm-hmm. she, and she got it. But it took, I mean, it was ridiculous. So talk to me about, you started on this, Connie, and you too, Joe, how theater is theater for entertaining and education and all of that but it is also you are making statements for the human spirit tell us connie well i think okay i was just out of college as an undergrad doing theater with some remarkable guys in pittsburgh who happened to be in pittsburgh they were new yorkers that were part of edward alvey's original playwrights unit and i went to a lecture on meditation and the fellow doing the lecture on meditation was really really full of himself and but he was captivating and (laughs) he was a psychic and he was looking at the crowd and telling people you can't smoke there please put out your cigarette only i'm allowed to smoke in this crowd and uh, he looked at us and and he said oh we have people here from the theater and so i um i just caught into his eye and I know that you know you're not supposed to look directly into somebody that has a Sengali type thing going on Mm -hmm. but he he said to the crowd does anybody have any questions after all of this and I said I do and my friend Glenn said put your hands down don't be looking at him and I said (laughs) well I'm going to anyhow and he said what's your question when the student's ready the teacher appears and I said this is just a general question. And he said, what's your question? And I said, what is fear? And he said, fear is a past life, blah, 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 manifestation. And I didn't even hear him because I was locked into his eyes. Uh And he said, do you want to know where yours comes from? And I said, "Uh, uh, uh," and I couldn't even speak. And Mm. he said, you were a sayer in ancient Greece. And you told Uh people in high places what they wanted to hear from money. And they're like, oh, my God. You know, so it, like, resonated with me so much that mm. my chest was shaking all the way home. Uh, Glenn was driving a little gremlin car. Remember the gremlins? Oh, yes. And my, my <laughs> heart was just throbbing. And it was this thing that affected me. So I ended up writing a play about it called Garrett the Blue Giraffe. And it was about, you know, atoning for things. And I was always trying to find out, like, why this happens, why that happens. Mm. Are the past lives part of this? And, you know, is this a legitimate reason why we do certain things, the choices we make? And, you know, why do I have uh, unreasonable fears? You speak about the reasonable voice. Well, sometimes the voice in my head is unreasonable. Mm. And one of the reasons Joe and I work is we can actually hear each other's inner voice mm. at times. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get through a rough part in a play, in, a, in, a, in the storyline. But again, you know, he told me about this Greek thing. And it's so funny because I have always been attracted to that, the ancient Greeks. And two years ago, I went to Greece. I had met a fellow who wanted me to start a theater company with him. And he was in Athens and he invited me and my husband and another friend to come over there and meet with all the dignitaries in the different, the National Theater of Greece. And it was just phenomenal because I have this passion with Greek and Mm. I don't know where it comes from. And then I went to Epidaurus and I could actually, and it's funny because Joe and I call each other AP, ancient partner, because Mm. we feel like we've worked together before. Mm. And 
it was funny when we were in Epidaurus, I could hear like something happening. You know, the energy of the space. Epidaurus is that space that has resonance from yes. the center of the space that you could hear it all over. Yes. But I could hear it like voices from the past. Maybe I was just imagining them. I don't know. But I've always been driven to the whole idea of what the Greeks started out. And, you know, and they, they started all of this. I mean, I had that in basic theater courses. You know, the introductory courses, the Greeks started comedy and tragedy and it mm. wasn't until Thespis stepped out of the Greek chorus and that started the first actor yes you know so it's it's fascinating to see how that happens and I think now this is our turn mm. I think this is the second coming of the golden age yes with technology I feel it I, I believe that firmly this this is definitely not an end of something it is definitely no. a new beginning and those who embrace it, are going to discover a life that they never dreamed of, I, I think. I really believe that. Oh, I love that idea. Yes, definitely. Oh, definitely. back to your new plays for a new world. I mean, I think that's that's where the, that's the gauntlet. What are your thoughts? I think, you know, that the whole idea of creating a space in people's hearts and minds where mm -hmm. they can leave the experience being inspired uh, is what we all hope to achieve. Yes. And, you know, when when we do our work, if we do it right, I think we are holding a mirror up to the truth. Mm. And sometimes people will see in that mirror uh, their own foibles mm. and sometimes their own heroism and the best of who they might attempt to become mm -hmm. and I think that's what you know we, we strive to to achieve with with this work and we'll know better when we uh, when we get a chance to bring it to the broader stage mm -hmm. but we were very heartened by the work that we uh, we had produced thus far and, and uh, at the Broadway bound reading of Eve of Beltane many people approached us and, and told us that that they felt moved and they felt a, uh, a sense of something that elevated them from when before they came into the theater. Yeah. So that's, I think, you know, as, as entertainers and, uh, and playwrights, um, and I, that's what you really hope to achieve, right? Yes. Yes. It's a beautiful thing to be involved in, in the arts as we are and, and all the arts, all the disciplines of any any artistic discipline, and and that's not the only thing that's going to hold us together. But certainly, we we turn to the arts. We do. We turn. Uh, you know, just my parents used to tell me stories of when the depression was going on. With the, if they could just get a nickel or a dime, the first thing they would do was go to the movies. So mm -hmm. it's just well. Anyway, let's let's talk about some. Uh, information on how people can reach out to you and be supportive and learn more about you some websites contact information what's up next that sort of thing just jump in there who's first well eva beltane has an up and running website it's 
Exactly that, eveofbeltane.com, www, and you don't even need the www anymore, yes. just eveofbeltane.com, yes. and you'll get to see, you can hear the music on that website, and you can meet some of the people that were involved in it, and the producers that want to see it move forward, and it's a pretty extensive website. We are currently developing, as, as Joe said, we are in the nascent stages mm. of Kingdom Come, and yes. we should have a development website up shortly we have over a hundred plays on airplay different pieces there are in the early uh catalog of airplay which is uh on facebook as well as on its own line if you look up my last name we have samples of our work on Facebook with Airplay, and it's also its own catalog. We have over 100 episodes of my plays, Joe's plays, things that we've done collectively, and things that other people, we've brought in new work. So we focus on new work, new playwrights, new talents, uh, new voices, new visions, and we've done it almost consistently for the last seven years once a week and I also have another show in there uh, where I highlight women in theater and I've got to interview some really powerful women I call it determined women I'm very involved in the women's movements and the League of Professional Women in Theater and the International Playwright Women's Guild so I I have a lot of uh, understanding about women like you were saying with your friend that was trying to get her credit established and it's just absolutely ridiculous and it doesn't change the no. whole idea of the women's movement and I was honored to do that piece on Bella Abzad because you know she said a woman's place is in the house yes. not in, the, in, the home, <laughs> in the house of representatives that's right so um but yeah, p people can get in touch with us. Um, go to evabeltane.com and you can find us. Or you can find us on Facebook. Joe, you want to tell them a little bit about your uh, solo uh, work so, as a musician now? Yeah, um, songs that, that, that I have written can be found on Joe Eisen's SoundCloud. And uh, I also have a Facebook page, uh, Joe uh, Eisen. And you can see some of the uh, places where I'm currently entertaining. Uh, perform out mostly in the New Jersey area and uh, New York so uh, those are about the two best places to check for my information. Fantastic. I feel like it's kind of a silly question to ask because you're already in the future. You really are. You know what I mean? Uh, the, yes. My, just, well, exactly. So you, of course you know because you are. What? <laughs> uh, so how are you going to continue to produce new works and develop new writers and composers and and is this the plan whatever happens uh, with covid or not this is the plan this is the road you're on yes uh, yes you know, COVID. go ahead Connie. well i was going to say as we said you know all the world's a stage yes. and I, you have to take your cues from an actor and you'll love this marcello because this is the the truth of an actor an actor has to be on the moment, but know the future. Yes. So we know the future because we're writing our own script as we go, writing what we're going to do next, but we have to stay on the moment. Yes. And that's where we go nuts. But I think COVID is actually helping us stay on the moment. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it's helping us to think outside the box, which is something that's very important when, I think, when you're working in any kind of art form, right? Whether it's painting or yes. music uh, or the stage. You always you want to be able to expand your consciousness 
to beyond what your limitations are. Yes. And so that's what we hope to uh, we hope to achieve as a result of COVID. You know that it's forced us to to say, okay, so we can't do the typical kinds of things we did, but we can certainly do X, Y, and Z. Yes. And and that keeps the art alive. It it does. It it forced us to grow. Whether we, you know, there's awful, terrible things about what we're going through for sure. But we, you can dwell on that and, you know, get in a funk or you can get up like you two and just every day you grow with it, you grow through it. And, and if you can also produce something that lifts the spirit, the human spirit, well, then you help other people to grow through it as well. And that's what absolutely you do well, and judging do. from your resume it appears that you've been doing plenty of that yourself <laughs> yes well, yes. I, yes thank yes, you yes. i have thank you for that i but i have to say i just got so excited about uh, talking to the two of you i hope we get a chance to work together and i certainly do appreciate all you're doing and everybody does i'm sure and um, there are people i want to introduce to you and and vice versa and all that Okay, I guess we should go, Connie. How about another 30 seconds of what you want people to take away from this conversation? Well, I think the best thing that people can take away from us as artists is to understand that the art is inside you. The art of living is there inside you to tap and Mm -hmm. connect with your creative spirit because it won't let you down. Mm -hmm. It's here for you. That's what you're made of. Yes, well, it's just been incredible, Joe and Connie. So appreciate you and all that you've done and all that you will be doing as well. So until the next time, okay? Thank you for having us on, Marcella. This has been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, this is Joe Eisen here again from the writing duo of Eisen and Kepfinger with new plays for a new world. We'd like you to hear part of a song from our brand new show that's currently in development. We spoke briefly about it with our gracious host, Marcello Rolando. It's called Kingdom Come. When Ted, the world's first hybrid being, falls for his boss, Livia, she rejects him. And he pours out his heart in order to let her know that he's more than just a machine in the song, I Know I Am Real. Now I know. www.eveofbeltane.com It's been great sharing our work with you. Connie and I look forward to seeing you when we hit the stage. And remember, the play is the thing.
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving. Until G.W. and Cheney, of course. As long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines, so when the winds come, we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colleen Dewhurst, and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey. Yul Brenner and the American Original Six. Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwinds. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Viney. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the sixties. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.